Hello and welcome to the Care Exchange, the Skills for Care podcast for managers and social care. I'm Pia Raftier Burton. And I'm Ali Rusbridge. So today we're going to be talking to Zoe Richardson. And Zoe works as the Director of Operations and Deputy CEO for Sir Josiah Mason Trust, or SJMT as they call it for short. This is a charity that provides housing, residential care and extra care housing, as well as support to adults and young people from disadvantaged communities. Zoe has got a real varied background. She's worked in mental health services, substance abuse, support for homeless people and the prison service. Um, and in her current role, she is the nominated individual for two services, a residential service and an extra care housing facility. So looking forward to catching up with Zoe and hearing everything about her role. Let's get on with the show. So welcome, Zoe, to the Care Exchange. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you very much. Really great for you to be here today. We've been really looking forward to, to chatting to you. Um, I think we heard an introduction there that um, one of the uh, services that you are overseeing as a nominated individual is an extra care housing facility. We haven't yeah. actually had anybody on the podcast before from an extra care, extra care housing. So we were just wondering what that is. People might not know what does okay. what's the difference between supported living and mm-hmm. residential ho- residential care and extra care housing okay so um it's a bit of a um a weird service actually which is why people don't probably know what it is um so when i first joined sjmt i wasn't 100 percent sure what it was um so basically it is housing as in um people live completely independently um have their own front door um have a little flat um within a bigger building um, but um, there are staff on site 24-7 um, who are all um, care assistants um, who can meet their care needs. And those care needs can be anything from prompting with medication, reminders, that sort of thing, all the way up to doing um, a bit of bathing, personal care. Um, and each person um, goes about their, their independent lives but it facilitates them to stay as independent as possible for as long as possible but with a little bit of care in between. So from a care perspective, um, the service is registered um, as a personal care service, so very similar to domiciliary care, um, but it's in one building and they're all in little little flats. Um, So it it is a a sort of anomaly, I suppose. It's kind of like what what we describe as a bit of a hybrid um, and... From, the, from a history perspective from, from the organisation, it was, it was purpose-built because um, our organisation um, looks after lots and lots of older people and in independent housing, and people were having to move out of independent housing and go and move into care facilities. So I think originally the idea was from the Board of Trustees at the time, which was in like the 80s, well, actually, why don't we build our own and see oh, okay. whether we can deliver something ourselves? Yeah. So that's what that service is. What this does is it gives um, a person the ability to still go out to the shops and to the yeah. pub or go and see family or whatever, um, but also know um, that they, if they need that help, then that's fine. It's just a pull cord away. Um, mm. and it's quite a nice um, little community there. I'd like more of it, to be honest. Yeah. I think it works really mm. well. Um, there are obviously huge organisations now that monopolise on that idea of extra care and have like 
the whole village kind of idea of it of, yeah. you know yeah. like um was this like cinemas on sites and and yeah. you know pubs and all that kind yeah. of stuff I mean this we are not that we're just this kind of it's become this hybrid that we run which works really well and I'd say probably 80% of the people that live there have come through our already independent housing route and then it, in living completely independently has been really difficult for them so then they've moved into, into that mm. service yeah. so it's um mm. yeah does that make sense it's kind of <laughs> that in between it's yeah. not very straightforward <laughs> no no I get it and and the registration is yeah it's as you say it's it's can be just one provider yeah with a home care registration yeah. as such yeah or um it can also be more multiple providers can't it I yeah know you absolutely. don't have that but you could have couldn't yeah, you yeah of course you could absolutely I mean you know some of the bigger organizations that do that do have separate between the housing and the provider yeah. whereas um we do we do do it in-house um but yeah so the registered manager there she is registered as if she was a domiciliary care yeah. manager which for us as well has been quite interesting in the last sort of year or so because what that's meant is that we can actually start to offer domiciliary um care based on her registration and her team outwards to some of right, the, okay, yeah. the independents that are still on the estate as well yeah. so it's kind of connected a few more dots for us in different ways by using that same registration because it's basically domiciliary care so that's worked quite well hmm. interesting um and we also heard instruction there that you are a nominated individual so mm-hmm. what does that role involve um that role involves so much for me um and i i take it really seriously actually because um for me running care services is really really challenging and i think being a nominated individual it's really important to invest in the registered managers as much as possible you can't run care services without registered managers that that that's my theory you need that core basis of management in there all the time and actually what they do is really really challenging um so i it is a leadership role it's a line management role um and obviously i line manage all our registered managers and i do supervisions and and all of that kind of stuff but i also do quite a lot of stuff around quality and i do nominate individual audits spot checks and work with them around all the chloe's and the work they're doing on that so i'm quite heavily involved in the operations of care services and I'd be I kind of make it a point of that they their personal development is my responsibility as nominated individual as well um I certainly through the last couple of years because of COVID I made some real distinctions around managing the pandemic with them um rather than it being something that was done to them so um at the time as everybody knew at the time we were going through this continual change and process of mm. you know you'd wake up one morning and there's another regulations changed or PPE is now yeah. this but it's not yeah. that and let's go and check all these boxes because these ones are wrong you've got to go and find another te- te- type of mask all this kind of stuff so I think what I did and what I made a decision of quite quickly was that actually delivering the care and being in the care homes and dealing with the stress that they were under at the time was enough as far as I was concerned so I took over all the kind of policy change and funneled everything through myself so that um, all the contacts with the local authorities when they were phoning the capacity tracker all of that stuff that came on board I took all of that and brought it into me and said look all of that bureaucracy that's my problem 
I, what I need you to do is I need you to make your building safe and keep everyone as safe as possible and keep the staff doing what they're doing and, and all of that kind of thing. They very much became like the front face of the pandemic while I was kind of churning stuff in the background for them. And um, obviously at the time before COVID, that was never a nominated individual's role, but it, it very much became my role because mm. I just felt like I needed to do something. Otherwise, they could never do what they needed to do. So that's a huge part of it for me is that kind of making sure that they're enabled to do their jobs. And sometimes that does actually mean kind of cutting across things for them and saying, no, no, that's actually more my responsibility. Um, from an organisational perspective, I'm accountable to our board of trustees as nominated individual to say whether care is safe or not. Is it OK? Are we meeting all the targets that we should be meeting? Uh, you know, on a regulation perspective, is everything the way it should be? And, you know, our board of trustees comes to me every quarter and I have to put in a nominated individual kind of report around all of that so that they know. Yeah. Um, and, and that's where that kind of well-led things come from for me is that it goes up but that comes from me and um, it's my responsibility to know that so yes. if out of all the things that I do in my job I've got multiple hats and multiple titles um, but I think the nominate individual one is the one that takes most of my time. Okay. Um, and were you were you a registered manager yourself before you became a nominated individual? No, I've never been a registered manager. Ah, so so uh, do you think that <laughs> makes a difference? Is that is there um, sort of pros and cons around that? I think there is and there isn't. I think, so previous to being at SJMT, I used to work for quite a large national organisation that had um, services, uh, CQC and, and, and non-CQC services. And I used to, to run all of those. So I've line managed, nominate, um, I've line managed registered managers for a very long time. Um, why did I not want to be a registered manager? Um, I don't know. I think, I think it does have its pros and cons. I think I have a huge amount of respect um, for registered managers and for the responsibility that they have um, and I think because I've not done it I see it as um, they're worth their weight in gold to me mm -hmm. because it's not I, I suppose it, it I don't know I think I've been a services manager before I've run housing services and day services all sorts of things and I've done that but I've never ever taken that plunge of going and getting registered and running a registered service. So actually I think what that's done is that's created a, this huge thing where I have so much more respect <laughs> for them because I just think, I don't think I would have ever taken that risk if I'm honest, because the accountability that they have to carry is just enormous. And I, I, that I suppose is why I do the nominated individual the way I do it, because I feel that it's such a huge role for them to have that, they need to have somebody that can help them and enable them to do their role. Um, mm. And, you know, yeah, okay, I could go and I could go and run one of our care services. Of course I could, but um, I'm not registered. And I think there's this thing about this clout about being registered mm. that mm. is very different. And um, I kind of, we kind of talk about it and laugh about it at work because obviously they have the registration certificates and, you know that they're in the, the entrance of all the the services and stuff like that and it's a bit like that thing of when you've got your name above the door on a pub it's <laughs> yeah. that sort of like you know like you that's yours isn't it like you can't get much more clout than that really and I think when CQC come in and 
you know, the amount of inspections that I've been a part of and stuff, at the end of the day, they don't really want to talk to me. It's mm. not really about me, is it? And I think that's where all the kind of the weight comes from. And quite rightly so, it's a massively responsible role. Um, but I also think that, therefore, as a nominated individual, it's, it's really important for me to be able to take some stuff off them that just is, like I said, bureaucracy is maybe not really part of it, but it's become mm. part of it. Yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. It's not something I don't know. I don't know if I would have ever become a registered manager for one. So I'll fess that up now. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting that you, because you could imagine if you don't have that hands on, you know, if you haven't done it before, that you'd yeah. be a bit kind of, oh, you know, what you're moaning about almost, you know. No, I'm, I'm totally the opposite. It sounds like you're completely mm. the opposite, that you're almost saying, oh my god this yeah. role is so huge and have so much responsibility it, yeah I'm, I'm gonna do whatever I can yeah. to lessen that that I, yeah and I think I massively for me that is the kind of angle that I come from and I think I've, I've said it many a time I say it all the time a good registered manager is worth their weight in gold yeah mm. and and that is the way they should be seen as far as I'm concerned yeah a, a, a service that is running at that good or even do you know what requires improvement but somebody's working their way through all of that to try and get it yeah. to good that is that is worth more than anything as far as yeah. I'm concerned and those are the sorts of registered managers that stay you know and they yeah. stay and they they live and breathe what they do because yeah. it's just cutting through the middle and social care is what they do and I think what yeah that's why I suppose I invest so much in in them and also in the role how I see my role as their supporter yeah. it's I'm yeah. not there as their line manager to tell them what to do I'm there as their supporter to go right okay what do you need me to do yeah. that's how mm. I do it yeah. and you know when I do supervisions and 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 go to meetings or whatever for them or, and that big thing is like what well, okay what do you need from me yeah. I don't that's what I say to them all the time so what do you need me to do and sometimes it's just backup isn't it or it's mm you know actually this has happened or can you you know we need you to look at an appeal or, or, or whatever it is and that's fine um but a lot of the time it's just telling them that they're doing a great job yeah showing their appreciation yeah and do you think it's important that a registered manager understand your role and I've, I'm thinking particularly about this sort of, kind of CQC aspect yeah of your role having a really understanding of the difference between their level of accountability and yeah. the nominated individual level yeah. of, of interaction with CQC? I think it's really difficult because I think one of the things that I've found quite, I don't know, it's a bit, I suppose it's a bit of a challenge really is that there's no like job description for a nominated individual. Nice. There's nice. no one way of doing it. And, um, I'm quite active in the nominated individual network in, in um, the West Midlands and stuff, but everybody does it very differently. And I think yeah. also, you know, there are registered managers who are also the nominated individual. And yeah. mm. um, there are, you know, some providers that are really small and just don't have an infrastructure like we do, which means that they can, you know, go to other people. There are, there are discussions going on at the moment about whether nominated individuals could be like locality based. Could you be a nominated individual for a number of different places yeah. that sort of thing and in fact we ourselves are having conversations internally about if we were to grow and take on more care does that mean that we just have a nominated individual or would we need more and i think if you're part of this these huge care organizations 
then there is that conversation. And some of that's because there's a lack of clarity, I think, around what is it? What is the role? What is the point of the role from a regulatory perspective? Um, for me, um, I think our registered managers know where the lines are because our board kind of require a certain amount of information from me um, and an accountability from me regarding care. So that kind of is dictated to from above. And the same with our chief exec, you know, he he doesn't know the ins and outs of what's going on, but by line managing me, he knows that care is okay. You know, that's mm. that's the kind of the, the point. Um, I think it's really challenging if you don't have that structure and line management structure as to what is a nominated individual, what, what is the point of it, what do they do? Um, from a CQC perspective, I tend to get involved. Um, obviously, I'm there on, on days of inspection or, or whatever, absolutely. Um, but as I said before, a lot of the time they don't want to talk to you anyway. They just sort of acknowledge you and go, okay, nice to meet you, and that's it. Um, but you know, on a kind of other things like maybe complaints or if they're asking for certain pieces of information or whatever, I will kind of get, get quite heavily involved on the basis of the fact that from my accountability to the organisation and to, you know, the senior leadership team in this organisation and to our trustees is that actually I know what's going on. So I've got an accountability and I have to do that. Um, but also for again for the registered managers is that they've got someone that by their side yeah because yeah. it's not just their problem it's the organization's problem yeah and I think that's what's really important um, and I, I do find it somewhat frustrating that there is not necessarily a benchmark of how you should do this job mm. because mm. it is actually a job it's not yeah. a title it's a job and mm. so I do find that somewhat frustrating but ultimately there is no, you don't have to go through a, an interview like a registered manager does. You don't have mm. to go through all these hoops. In fact, some people go into jobs like mine, don't even realise that they're nominated individual until one day someone tells them that they are and they've got to mm. form it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that, yeah. that's, And there's you know. so many different structures, as you, as you yeah. mentioned earlier, that, you know, you, we have very tiny organisations where the registered manager is nominated mm -hmm. and then you've got huge organisations where, where a nominated individual may not even go to those services exactly. so there's so many so many mm. different um ways and I just think that it's it's interesting question about sh does the registered manager really need to understand the nominated individual role you know is that is that important or is that um, I think the registered manager needs to understand what they need. Yeah. Mm. And then I think a registered manager should always have somewhere to go. Yeah. That's what I think. Yeah. And I, I think, think that sums it up really well. That, I think that, yeah. that's the big yeah. thing for me. Yeah. Absolutely. That's brilliant. Yeah. Um, one of your organisation's values uh, I noticed was is fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. Know. And, and just chatting to you, fun is obviously really, and humour is really important to you. Really important. <laughs> so why, why is that? Why is it important to you? Um, do you know, it's one of the reasons why I applied for the job when I joined SJMT, because it was, it was, um, it was advertised with the value of fun. Um, so humour is massively important to me as a person. It's kind of, it's part of my makeup. And I think it, you, you've got to laugh at things. But I think also at work, it's so important, especially in the work that we do in social care, because actually it can be pretty dark. Um, mm. at times and you know we run services that do end of life care um, we deal with death a lot 
Um, and then obviously nobody knew what was going to happen a couple of years ago, but there was a massive pandemic and that was pretty awful as well. <laughs> um, and I think one of the big things is that you've got to be able to bring a bit of joy into either the lives of the people that you're working with or the staff team or your managers or whoever it is, because you spend so many hours at work. And for me, the, the work that I do, it probably sounds really cliche, but it is a calling. I've never done anything other than work with people. Yeah. I don't know anything other than working with people. And I absolutely love it. And even on the days where it is really really dark and there has been some awful times over the last couple of years but there has also been throughout that whole time days where we have laughed so much and sometimes it's that slightly macabre humor that people get isn't it when they do the work you know what I mean when you just think actually if anyone else heard this they think well that's a bit but you've got to do it because it kind of keeps brings people together as well humor does I think And that acceptability that actually, do you know what? It's okay to cope with things by it being a fun thing to do. Um, and if you're working with people all the time, um, that's got to be, it's got to be fun, hasn't it? So, so how do you get that balance right between being professional and having fun? Because I agree with everything you said, but there, there's yeah. a balance in there, isn't there? There is a balance in there. And I think it's really interesting because coming from quite a big corporate organization um professionalism was probably the the forefront of everything and then when I came to SGMT I find it I found it really challenging at first because it is really informal here and it is that kind of family type approach and although Mm. we're reasonably big like a medium-sized organization like everybody knows everybody and there's not a person that you don't see and all of that kind of thing so it kind of creates an element of informality Um, but I think professionalism is is a totally different thing in the sense of we're all here to do a job and to do it as to the highest ability that we can and to the highest level of quality that we can. That's what's professional. Mm. Um, mm. You can still have a laugh and a joke with people and be mm. professional. There's always lines and boundaries. But I think also for the people that we work with, all our residents and service users that were, you know, all these people that we look after, they've all got a sense of humour as well. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, that's yeah. part of people, isn't yeah. it? You know, like all people have something and there's nothing better, I think, than finding that kind of like joke or sense of humour in a resident, particularly maybe one that is, say, really, really put poorly or is at that point of transitioning in life. Yeah. And you can find something that you then mutually start laughing about. Mm. I mean, that is pure joy as far as I'm yeah. concerned. And why would you not want to love to do that? Yeah. So from my perspective, when I saw that that was one of the values of the organisation, I can remember saying to my husband, I'm applying for that job. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is that's dream stuff for someone yeah, like no, me. Exactly. That's great. <laughs> and I think it's interesting when you were saying about what is professional I was sort of smirking what you were saying because I just had this memory of um, when I was a registered manager uh, we had a and I can't remember exactly what the the theme was but there was some sort of fun 
fun thing happening, some sort of fun event where everybody had to be fancy dress, including me as well as Amanda. So I was in, in fancy dress, but the timing was just a bit unfortunate. So I had to do a formal meeting with one of my staff. And I can't, again, I can't remember exactly what the formal meeting was about, but I remember sitting in my fancy dress and she was in fancy dress and then having to have this quite <laughs> formal conversation about whatever it was that um, she was or wasn't doing. And her afterwards saying, I don't know how you did that. But me it's kind of funny thinking, though, isn't it? About like what we look like externally yeah. kind of makes it because it really shouldn't. I mean, obviously people can't see me at the moment, but I've got yeah. bright blue hair. Yeah. So, you know, this is I, I, I kind of face this sort of stuff quite a lot. People don't expect to see someone yeah. with bright blue hair. I've also covered in tattoos and all the rest of it. Yeah. Like I am what I am, but it doesn't make me any less professional. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Really good point. Yeah, mm. no, that's a good, really good point. Um, so what you mentioned when you were talking about your registered manager and the support they provide, so that mm. one of your services was um, for a period of time, and I think when you first took over, uh, overall requires improvements. Yeah. Or kind of several, it's been several times over, hasn't it? And it was kind yeah. of got to a point where we've got to do something about this. And obviously that's you right. were appointed and your registered manager was appointed and you really sort of kind of made some, massive changes didn't massive, you yeah um yeah. in a very quite short period of time wasn't it really yeah uh, yeah kind of seven eight months yeah it was so um yeah so when I joined uh, so we had residential care service um which has a specialism in end of life and dementia and um it had been in requires improvement um for seven years in yes. total um some of the areas have been good but it had just never quite got that shift I yeah. suppose um so and one it was was one of the reasons I was appointed because previously I'd done a lot of kind of quality work and um, where I was before and um, done a lot of work and um, transforming um services that were underperforming um so I'd already kind of got a view on how I thought that that should be done and um, so when I came in that was clearly this is last chance saloon basically is what I was kind of told is that the service either needs to get to good or there is a bigger com wider conversation in the organization about actually pulling the service completely so um so that was the big priority for me when I joined um and um I do go through a bit of a process. It doesn't matter whether it's a day service, a residential service, you know, it can be a housing service, whatever. I've used the same process the whole time I've been doing this, which is probably about six, seven years of, of doing this now. Um, and um, you have to immerse yourself in the service, which is basically what I did. So I, when I, when I took the job, I said, right, okay, but you do realise that this is now my priority and this is how I'm going to do it. So I literally based myself there. Um, there was no registered manager at the time. There was um, like an interim arrangement which wasn't working. Um, so there was a real cultural problem with the way that um, the structure of the care home was being run. So there was a lot of, and well-led was one of the areas that we were in requires improvement for. And I could see that as soon as I walked in the door. There was a lot of people not really knowing what they were doing. There was no direction and no structure. Um, so I spent the first month literally there every day and just watched it work and asked people questions and why do you do that and what is what's going on there and watching the care and looking at 
paperwork and listening to the conversations, handovers, staff teams, you know, how people interact with one another, that kind of thing. Looking at the building, the physicality of the building, what, where, you know, what, what needs to be done. And then from that, I then create um, a transformation plan and it, it's broken down into areas and it literally is every single part of that building. So um, everything was ripped apart all the way through the actual physicality of the building. So everything needed painting, for instance, you know, like you can't do, you can't do bits of this. If you're going to pull something out of what has been not good enough for the last seven years, you have to look at everything. Mm. So um, a whole plan of works was put in place for the, for the building, which meant, that I went to our board of trustees and said, this is fine, I can do this and I will do this, but you need to put your hands in your pockets because mm. there's, a, there's a cost implication here, which was fine and, and they did that. So you then start changing the physical building itself then starts, change, starts a message for the staff and they realise that things are changing. So the things mm. that they've been moaning about or they, their perception is they've been moaning about it forever. You know, that door doesn't work or that's been hanging off the wall yeah. and no one's come yeah, and fixed yeah. it because it's that apathy isn't it if people think that the the leadership don't care then they mm. don't care so yeah. instantly you have to start throwing things at it and going right well actually you've told me all these things that are broken I'm going to get them fixed for you within next by next week and there's a lot of eye rolling yeah 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 of course you will and then it gets done and then they start to see that so then you you, you start to establish the fact that things are changing and then then you start looking at the Okay, so let's look at the staff team. Let's look at the management. Let's look at the the paperwork and all of that. So you just go through it. I mean, I think when you when I originally wrote the um, transformation plan for um, for this service, um, I think it was about thirty five pages, double sided, mm. of all the things mm. that needed doing, and everything gets rag rated, um, and then and that's what you're held to account on, as far as I'm concerned. And so um, the registered manager that I appointed in that process. She was the interim arrangement that was in place. She'd never been registered before, but had so much love and passion for that service. And she wanted it to change and she knew that it could get good. So she just needed somebody by her side to go, we're going to do this and we are going to do this together. And that's what we did. Mm. And um, I lived and breathed that service I took for six months, basically, and did nothing other than that and pulled all the strings I possibly could with my title of director of operations and pulled every department in and said right these are the things that I need and I need them yesterday and we turned the whole service round within um seven eight months and then got re-inspected at good at the nine month point um and we've been good ever since so and we're now working towards outstanding and with 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 that I mean transformation plan mm -hmm. in terms of what, what was the hardest bit I'm just thinking about things like the work place culture when it had been yeah. required was that a really hard thing to turn around and how did you create a positive culture it is that? really challenging to do that I think you've got particularly when you've got um uh, quite a large staff team uh, it's quite a large care home it's got quite a large staff team who have potentially not been held to account for a very long time mm -hmm. have seen managers mm -hmm. come and go um not stuck it out they've been told lots of things and go yeah 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 we've heard it all before that kind of culture is yeah. sort of like there and um you've got to change that and mm. I think for me you don't promise things you can't deliver that is a massive thing you if you're gonna if you're gonna do it you're gonna do it you also don't expect people to do things that you wouldn't do 
So I was out on the floor all the time. I was just in it constantly. I don't, if you're going to try and change things like that and change people's perceptions of not only that service, but also the organization, you've got to be at the cold face constantly, mm-hmm. taking the same level as flat as they are, experiencing the same pressures that they are. Yeah. And that was a huge part of what I did. And being completely honest with people was another part of how I do it to the point of sometimes brutally honest, this is not acceptable kind of conversations and not shying away from those conversations. Um, We brought the families of every resident in as well and had that brutally honest conversation led by me and said, this isn't acceptable. This is not where we see our care services. And this is what we're gonna do. We showed them the transformation plan. We sent the transformation plan to CQC and basically owned the fact that this is not what we wanna do. And I think when you put yourself out that much to that level of accountability, Mm. you've you've got to know that you can do it, you know, Mm. Um, and that changes by doing that, that changes the staff to think, well, you know, this, we could be a part of something here and that those that don't want to be a part of it go. And that is the reality of change is people either ride that wave with you and then get really passionate about it and want to be a part of it or they don't. Mm. and that's okay yeah. you know and I think that's it's it's accepting the fact that part of change as well is loss and that's okay yeah mm. no I, I agree with you and, and they will just they will leave won't they and, and yeah. then you think well that's fine um because actually what the people I want in my service for good culture is the ones that believe in what yeah. I'm trying to do yeah and I think what we did as well is through every point of recruitment that we did when we did lose people we were really honest about what they were walking into so we changed our interviewing processes and said, right, okay, you might be coming to us for a, a, a daycare, a role or whatever, but we want you to know that this is where the service currently is, but this is where the service is going. And these are the expectations that we're going to be putting on every single member of staff. It doesn't matter where, how long you've been, you know, you're just coming in or whatever. This is where we're going. We're pushing yeah. constantly. And, and what that does then is that either infuses people and they want to be a part of that and they go, yeah. actually, you know, yeah, I really want to work here. Or they go, actually, no, this isn't for me. I want a comfortable ride. Yeah. It wasn't a comfortable ride. It was a hard slog, but that's why we did it so quickly. And that's mm. how it worked. Mm. Um, so, yeah. And, you know, we have an amazing staff team at this service. And all my staff are amazing, but we have an amazing staff team at this service. And we don't have a lot of churn. We don't lose a lot of people mm. because a, most of them have been through the journey with us. Yeah. So at some point in that, you know, whether they were recruited in that journey, or have stayed the test of time they've they've been through that journey and they desperately want outstanding because they've seen that they can get good (laughs) yeah yeah they kind of have that goal oh massively yeah (laughs) um you're also a coldicott guardian what is that Oh, that's a really quite difficult <laughs> question to answer. I can give you the like technical answer. So basically, a Coldcott Guardian, um, it is now, well, next year it's actually going to be, a, it's a requirement, it's a regulatory requirement for all health and social care organisations to have one. So it's very similar to um, sort of a data protection officer, I suppose. But ultimately what it's about, it's about, I am responsible for um, making sure that all the personal information that we have about all our residents and service users who use our health and social care services um, is is basically used responsibly, held responsibly, that it's ethically accessed, that we're not 
kind of like you know selling it to people or losing it and those sorts of things so it's it kind of crosses over with the data protection idea but yeah. Caldercott's a bit gray um so it's often used um ethically around um should we be giving this information do we need this information should we be asking for people for this there's that sort of lots of debate rather than legally data protection will tell you what you can and can't do mm. a cold cut guardian will potentially question you a bit more and say why why do you need that what's the point you know what is the point of that and and it protects somebody's personal information um so we i became cold cut guardian when i started knowing that next year 2023 is all health and social care organizations will have to have one Right. So um, it is a huge part of an expectation. And CQC do ask now whether you've got one. They'll ask staff at inspection, do you know who your cold cock guardian is? Right. Um, so it is becoming a bit of a, a bit of a thing. Do, does it relate to the safe, Chloe, or, or the well-led? or both? Well-led, right. yeah, well-led. Um, so they will ask. Um, so like my, um, my details are on the, there's a national cold cock guardian register that you have to be registered to you have to do yearly kind of like refresher conferences and training and that sort of thing. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's in this size organization, it's not a huge part of my work, but it's a, it's a necessity. And what it does allow me to do as well is that I do, um, because I'm cold cut guardian, I actually do all the training of our care staff around reporting and recording and keeping mm. people's information safe. Um, so that they can join the dots as to why that's why that's important I suppose yeah. um, and any services that um, contract with the NHS um, so actually are funded by the NHS or have NHS beds the NHS require you to have a cold cut guardian now as well okay. mm. and you they you receive training yeah from them okay well in the show notes we'll definitely put a link to that so anybody listening if they haven't heard of that before um, they can find out more um, and, and it kind of links to my next question was about kind of you have so many different engagement with external yeah. internal nationally locally yeah. uh, I have a long list <laughs> do you think this is something that registered managers should be involved with or do you think that's just mainly the sort of kind of nominated individual kind of within your organization to kind of look externally no, no, definitely. I think everyone should look externally. I, I just, I, I, I like to do it for my, for me personally, because um, I like to hear different things and learn from, from different people. And, and I think everybody's got something to contribute and it, by going onto different platforms and doing the sort of work that I do nationally and locally and stuff like that, you hear all sorts of things that you can pick up and think, oh, that's a good idea. I might do that. Um, I think it's really important that anybody that works in social care, or particularly registered managers or any other nominated individuals, don't silo work. Uh, you know, we can all learn from each other. And that's ultimately why I kind of do what I do. Um, and um, I'm quite opinionated, um, which is <laughs> which is why I, I get asked to kind of do things like this and, and also um, talk to other organisations and things because it's not because I know any better it's just because I'm quite happy to have an opinion about something and yeah. um, I think that's really important um, because um, we all need to share that experience it's just yeah. that's for me is what it's about so if there's an opportunity for my registered managers to 
um, to go and talk to another organization or go and see another organization or go on to conferences or whatever. I think that's really important for their own personal development, but also to just share ideas and learn from other people. Yeah. So that's why I do it. And, sorry. I was just gonna say, and if, if a registered manager doesn't have a uh, nominated individual who does it, you'd re recommend that they really were involved themselves anyway. I think people should put themselves out there. You know, I really do, because I think it is just a, it's a learning. It's all about learning all the time. And I think it's like things like this. So, you know, it, it kind of enables you to reflect, doesn't it? And think, and, and actually we don't get very much time to do that because everyone's yeah. really, really busy. Yeah. So um, I, that's another reason why I do things because maybe people will ask me questions, which I've thought, and I'll give an answer and I'll think, Oh, I have really thought about that but that's quite clearly is that you know yeah. and, and that's actually a really good moment of reflection and yeah. reflective practice is something that everybody should should do but do any of us really have the opportunity to do mm. it mm. so if it's a different way of doing it and I think if the registered managers has got an opportunity to engage then for me I would only ever encourage them yeah, yeah. right oh, we've talked before about reflecting mm. the importance of reflecting and really yes yeah. using setting some time aside yeah and that, as you say when you start talking to other people when you say something you suddenly you think yeah. oh I am actually I've, I've suddenly reflected without realizing don't you? yeah and I think the other thing is as well is that everybody I don't I don't care what role you do everybody at some point will go am I doing this right am I have I, mm. have I actually got this am I do I know what I'm doing everybody does that and sometimes it just takes someone to ask you a question and you answer it and then that's just the clarity of, do you know what? I've got this. I'm yeah. all right, actually. Yeah. You know, and so that's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. OK, so moving on, on uh, every episode, we have what we call our time for care slot. So this is mm -hmm. your chance to share what you feel is your most time saving tip that you'd recommend to others. So this kind of ties into what I've just said, actually. So um, it's to stop. Mm -hmm. That is the biggest thing for me because it's completely against the grain of probably most people that work in the sector is to stop. And I actually, I've, it's taken me quite a long time to learn this and it's taken, yeah, a massive amount of time. And actually, do you know what? COVID's probably one of the biggest things that's taught me this is the need to stop and to stop every day at some point and to give yourself that self-care to carry on. Mm. Um, I am self-professed workaholic um who lives and breathes what she does but i've also learned more more recently actually that i am no good to people if i am laid up in bed yes. <laughs> um, as i have been with covid recently and i just it's it's a really difficult thing to do um is to actually stop and then within that stopping is to honestly move away from the screen go and take a walk or whatever it is or if you're on shift go and take your five minutes and have a cup of tea and all of that kind of thing because actually that self-investment even if it is five minutes will mean that you'll be able to continue for longer hmm. and that's a huge lesson that it's taken me 42 years to learn <laughs> <laughs> but it sounds great that you've learned it uh, really yeah. really helpful that's great yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um 
And one final question. We want you to imagine that you're in, we're all in the lift of a 10th floor going down. Mm -hmm. And before people get out, we want you to tell them what you think is your, your message that you want to stay with them. So the key message that you want to leave them with. Um, about social care. Um, for me, we're all doing an amazing job is probably one of the big things. Um, I have never seen anything like I have seen in the last two and a half years or so as mm. to what has happened to the sector and what we have had to experience. Um, and it has been horrendous. Um, and um, I would like there to be more opportunity for us to actually shout the loudest and say, we actually do a really, really important job as well. Um, that is a big thing for me. Um, it, it's, it's been a real struggle for everybody, I mm. think, in different ways. And obviously different people have done different things and, and whatever. But it doesn't matter what job you do in the sector. It is as equally important as it is if it was done in a hospital. Mm. Um, and I think that there is maybe still that divide so for me social care is as important if not more important that's one of the big things brilliant and really positive note to end on that absolutely yeah, uh, yeah. and I don't think I don't think anybody can, who works in the sector can disagree with anything you've just said it's a no. really important message so just huge thanks Zoe really no worries <laughs> so much <laughs> As always, I always think, oh, so much I've learned and I just kind yeah. of think, oh, there's so many things to to think about and so many things that I can reflect on afterwards and think, oh, that was an important point. So thanks so much for your time today. Not a Bye. problem. Thank you. See Bye. ya. Bye. So, Ali, that was sorry. Really yeah. interesting conversation. Gosh, that lady's got lots of lots of life and lots of lots of excitement about working in social care, doesn't she? I know. Yeah, absolutely. I, it was really good to have her talk about the perspective of a nominated individual as well, because yeah. that's not something that um, we we've had that kind of level of explanation before. And I think she explained the role really, really well, um, and, and brought it to life really, didn't it? Especially yeah. the the importance of uh, the role in supporting registered managers. I think that came across so strongly in terms of the joint responsibility and things like that, that which I think. Is something I'm always concerned about when registered managers don't get that support from people and, uh, and I think we, we've, we've recognised that haven't we on the website because we've yeah. created a page for nominated individuals to really encourage them to be as hands-on as Zoe is and she is incredibly hands-on isn't she and, and that page I think it's, it's got everything in one place so particularly things like the uh, resources around CQC and the responsibilities you know we've got a lot of resources there in terms of looking at how you can improve your CQC Rating, um, and the expectations of, of uh, CQC have and I know Zoe mentioned that didn't yeah. she so that's a page I definitely think it was worth checking out if people haven't seen it yeah absolutely it's got loads and loads of resources both for for the nominated individual themselves but also for the, the register managers which Zoe spoke so passionate about mm -hmm. about providing that support and and as she put it there like the 
they're sort of kind of the gold dust they're, they're, they're the bit that holds it all together and if you mm. don't have them you don't have a service so um yeah i think if you are a nominated individual listening to this or if you are if you are registered manager and you have a nominated individual that isn't new you know signpost them to that page because yeah. they may not be aware of it the other thing i would um mention for nominated individual and for registered managers is that uh, we did a an event um in 2021 uh, with in partnership with cqc uh, and there's a recording of that on the on on a on the web page which got, and cqc have a really good explanations in that in that film about what is the role and what is their expectations of the nominated individual mm. so just you know there's a really and even if i think even if you're a registered manager if you're not completely sure, and I have to say, I held my hands up when I was a registered manager. That obviously I had a nominal individual, but I'm not sure I really, really knew what their what their role was and how what the expectations from CQC's point of view was of that role. Um, I think just watching, even if you don't kind of watch the full hour, if you watch some part mm. of it where that where CQC really goes into details of what is the role and what is the expectations. I think that's mm. really. Um, I think worth worth your time just to kind of having thinking ah okay I see how it all kind of linked together really Mm, yeah I'd agree and the other thing that Zoe mentioned she mentioned um, being part of a nominated individual network didn't she in her area and and there are more and more of these networks across the country now and we really encourage nominated individuals to get together so if people don't know again if there is a network in the area then they can contact the locality manager for the area who will be able to put them in touch with the local networks because that that she mentioned that a lot didn't she that whole thing about um, the importance of of um, really joining up with others and, and having that chance to reflect and to think and to be able to really consider, uh, you know, the, what she was saying about the questions. If you ask questions of each other, you become clearer. I thought that was really good what yeah. she said there. Yeah, and, and that makes you reflect. So mm, as you're answering, mm. you're kind of almost reflecting and that's, yeah. that's given you some time to reflect that you perhaps wouldn't have allowed yourself to have. So, yeah, yeah. I think absolutely. Um, I think being external and think looking outwards um so we would you know talked a lot about and and a nominated individual network could be one one part of that but it can be other things as well so just you know different things is in different parts of the country but um if you're not sure what's happening in your area uh, get in touch with your locality manager um and and find out what's what's available in your area so that's all from this time Thank you very much for your time and for listening to Zoe. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. See you next time. Bye. Bye.